This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show. We'll look at last night's action in high school playoff hoops. Tom Brady is not happy about a recent uh, NFL rule change. Does anybody know what they're talking about when it comes to the NFL draft? Uh, No. The answer is no. It is Friday, which means that Joe Shuda has another Rush Friday feature as he catches up with a member of the 1982 Penn State National Championship team, Bill Kant, is the subject of today's Rush Friday feature. He has a book out that was released a couple years ago about playing at Penn State. And uh, we'll have that in the 8 o'clock hour. So all that stuff and more uh, coming up in the next two hours of the Morning Rush. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day, wrapping up another essential work week. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Check out our Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. All three of those pages open to the public. Like them, follow them. At any point, you feel froggy, take the leap and drop me a line. You got a question? Certain subjects you want me to talk about, you want to talk about a comment, an opinion, feel free. Also, take your calls on the rush line. 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this funky Friday. Shamon. 301 And of course, Check out our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day, minus commercials, just for you. Not doing it for me. I got to sit here and do the show for two hours. I don't want to listen to it again. But if you miss something, it's all right there for you because we care. All right. A lot of stuff to get to today. Including the reason why uh, I am wearing shorts in 30-degree weather. But first, <laughs> let's rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with girls' high school basketball, where the field is set for next week's West Virginia AA State Tournament, and both Frankfurt and Petersburg are going dancing. The Falcons and Vikings won their Region 2 co-finals to advance to Charleston next week. A Frankfurt rally to beat Trinity 60-48, and Petersburg rolled past Braxton County 76-44. Much more on those two games coming up later on. In boys' action, uh, Tucker County won the Class A Region 2 Section 1 championship with a 58-54 win over East Hardy, the Section 2 title game between Tigers Valley and undefeated Pendleton County will be held tonight, also tonight. In section finals, Martinsburg is hosting Hedgesville. Jefferson is at Musselman. Trinity is at Berkeley Springs. 
and Moorfield is uh, taking on Frankfurt. That game will be played at the aforementioned, quote-unquote, neutral site at Petersburg. In high school wrestling, congratulations to Moorfield. The Yellow Jackets edged Cameron by a half point to win their very first Class A state wrestling championship. Moorfield won by the slimmest of margins, 54 to 53 and a half. Isaac Van Meter won an individual state title, beating Clay County's Noah Castro in the 220-pound final. In college football, West Virginia and head coach Neil Brown agreed to a two-year contract extension yesterday that will run through the 2026 season. In total, the six-year contract is worth nearly $24 bucks, with an average uh, salary per year of 3.9 mil. It's a lot of money for a guy who's 11 and 11 in two seasons with the Mountaineers, but they were 6 and 4 uh, last season. Moving on to Major League Baseball, the Pirates were trying to stay red hot in ice cold Detroit. Gregory Soto's pitch is a bouncing ball. Left side, going to sneak through into left field. Frazier will score. Throw to third base, won't get Reynolds. Colin Moran, don't you know? Gives the Buckos the lead. It's 3-2 to two in the eighth. Greg Brown, the call on the Pirates radio network, 4-2 the final as the Pirates danced through the snow flurries to get the win. Adam Frazier had three hits for the Bucks, who took two of three in the series. They have now won eight of their last 12 games. On the ice last night, the Capitals and Islanders hooked up in New York with first place in the East Division on the line. Here he comes, right side, through the circle, will hold, shoot, and he scores! Evgeny Kuznetsov wins it in the shootout for Washington! Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, New York! What a win for the Capitals to start this three-game set with the Isles! They win it, one nothing in extra hockey! John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network. Caps win in a shootout to move into first place with that victory. Ilya Samsonov made 26 saves to pick up the shutout in the shootout. Washington now leads New York by a point in the standings. In Pittsburgh, the Penguins were trying to keep pace with the Caps and Isles as they hosted New Jersey. Crosby leading the charge for the pen, shoots and scores from the left wing circle. The captain is possessed. And the Pens lead it 1-0, 41 seconds in. The call on the Penguins Radio Network 5-1 the final as the Pens are now tied with New York for second place in the division. Crosby, Kasperi Kapanen, Brian Rust, and Teddy Bluger each had a goal and a helper for Pittsburgh. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. So things are, as they have been most of the season, jam-packed in that East Division. The Caps getting that uh, shootout victory last night, now with 64 points. The Pens and Islanders are tied with 63, and not too far back from them, Boston, they are in fourth place with 60. Those four teams, barring a major collapse, 
are going to be your top four teams coming out of the East. Now remember, or if you're just learning for the first time, playoffs are different this year in the NHL because of you know the pandemic and you know, all the different rules and stuff. They had to realign divisions. The top four teams in each division go to the playoffs. Usually it's the top three in each division plus two wild cards. This year it's the top four in each. And it looks right now, because right now the Rangers are eight points behind the Bruins for that four spot. And the Flyers are eight, they're 11 points behind Boston. Good luck making that ground. The Devils and the Sabres, they've already been eliminated. So it looks now, again, again, unless the Bruins completely just go in the tank because Boston's won six in a row right now. You're going to have the Caps, the Pens, the Islanders, and the Bruins coming out of that very, very difficult East division. The only question mark is, where are they going to finish? Because it'll be the first round of the playoffs is interdivisional. So it'll be one versus four, two versus three. So if the playoffs start today, which they don't, it'll be the Caps and the Bruins in round one and the Penguins and the Islanders. Anyway, you slice it. They're going to be some great first-round series. And I don't know if you caught it in that uh, Capitals clip. Uh, John Walton said that the Caps uh, take the first of the three-game series. Caps and Isles play two more times coming up in the very, very near future. So they could flip-flop spots twice, two more times again. The Pens, I'm not exactly sure who they have coming up next. Well, they have the Devils again. So good for them because the Devils stink. (laughs) They have the Devils coming up tomorrow. So while the Caps and Islanders beat each other up, the Penguins, you would think, could take advantage of playing New Jersey and keep pace, maybe even move in the first place. Because, believe it or not, time is winding down in both uh, for both the NHL and NBA. Looking at the Penguin schedule right now, they only have, and I'll count it out loud for you because why not? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They only have, there's only nine games left in the regular season. That's it, at least for the Penguins. They have Jersey. Then they're, look, the next four games will go a long way in determining those top four spots. Because after Jersey, they have two against the Bruins in Pittsburgh and then two against the Caps in Washington. So there's still a lot to be determined. A lot of moving and shaking is going to be going on in that rugged East Division. I'm trying to see, uh, again, our internet here moving at the speed of mud. Good luck refreshing a, uh, a page. This is ridiculous. Is there anything more frustrating than when you try to, you know, uh, open a, a website and the little circle just goes round and round and round and round. You know what I mean? Buffer, buffer, buffer. I was literally on the standings page 30 seconds ago. Now it won't even give it to me. God bless the internet, baby. This is a wonderful thing. Actually, it is. Oh, here we go. Now we have it back. It looks like the Bruins, uh, they have two games in hand. 
The Caps, Pens, and Isles have all played 47. The Bruins have only played 45. So that could definitely come into play down the stretch because they'll have the ability to pick up four points. Four more points sitting right there if there's two extra games. So Caps, Pens, Isles all have nine games left. The Bruins have 11 games left. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun down the stretch for sure. And of course, this very station, in case you didn't know, in case you haven't heard, we're the home of the Washington Capitals. So we're going to have Caps action down the stretch, playoff action, all kinds of good stuff coming up. Looking at the real quick before we move on, the Central Division, uh, Carolina still leads that division by two points over Florida. The defending cup champion, Lightning, in third, and then Nashville, a distant fourth. In the North Division, the all-Canadian division, Toronto's in first, Winnipeg second, Edmonton third, and Montreal fourth. Then in the West, Vegas and Colorado, they've already locked up uh, playoff spots. Colorado, actually, uh, the Avs clinched last night. Then Minnesota is third. Arizona and St. Louis kind of fighting it out for that fourth spot. Uh, the Coyotes lead the Blues by a single point uh, for the fourth spot. So there you go. Little little hockey, little pucks roundup as we head down the home stretch heading towards. This is the kind of stuff that freaks me out, okay? Yesterday, and I just noticed, that's why I quickly switched gears. Yesterday. I uh, ordered flowers online because today is my dear mother's birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear mother. Happy birthday to you. So I ordered flowers. She is currently uh, visiting my brother in Virginia. So I had the flowers sent to my brother's house for today. I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at the NHL standings on ESPN's website. And what do I see at the top of that that page? An advertisement for flowers.com, 1-800-Flowers, where I ordered those flowers yesterday. This is the kind of stuff that freaks me out about the Internet. This is the kind of stuff. Have you had that happen to you before? I know you have. If you spend enough time on, especially Facebook. Oh, there's nobody worse than Facebook. I will look at something on my phone and then jump on Facebook on my laptop and there's an ad on Facebook of what I was looking at on my phone. Tell me that hasn't happened to you before. How do it know? I mean, you talk about tracking your every move. That stuff freaks me out. And you know it's happened to you before. <laughs> anyway, it's a scary thing, man. You have absolutely no idea. You have absolutely no idea what these websites are doing and what they're tracking and what information they are gleaning from what you're doing. Anyway, so a lot to get to today. We already ran down the hockey. Some more high school hoops talk. We are certainly heading down the home stretch there. Girls tournament starts uh, next week in West Virginia. The boys tournament the week after that. 
When we come back from break, we will uh, get down to the the final classification in the girls' state tournament. The double A field was set last night. Got some local teams, some local flavor in uh, next week's state tournament. A lot of uh, boys' sectional finals last night and tonight. There should be a game tomorrow. And then by the time we come back Monday, we'll at least have the boys' regional co-finals set in place. So that'll be a big topic next week, the girls' state tournament and the boys' uh, region co-finals or finals or, or call them whatever you want. There's also something that I might get into today. I might because I just saw the story today, and I may have to do some homework on it before you know, I may have to talk to some people. And it's a story that I saw on our mothership's website, wvmetronews.com. And it's concerning a bill. All right, I'm trying to bring it up right now. Here it is. West Virginia Coaches Association uh, is seeking a veto of HB 3266. And basically, uh, the Coaches Association is asking uh, Governor Jim Justice to veto a bill that recently just flew through the state, uh, you know, both state legislative bodies that could affect future school employees who retire. Basically, what they're saying is this. If you're a full-time teacher in West Virginia and you're a coach, if you retire from teaching, you will have to reapply for that coaching position. So basically, this bill says that any extracurricular contract will terminate when a school employee retires, which, again, would essentially require the employee to reapply for the contract, including coaching positions. There's a lot to get into it. There, We have statements from some coaches some, you know, around the state here in the story, and I have my own opinions on it because there's one quote in here. There's one quote in it that bothers me, and it bothers me because of another rule in West Virginia. I might get into it today. I, I don't know. I have some text messages out, some emails out to certain people, and we'll see how this goes. We'll see if that bill is vetoed, if, if it passes, and what goes from there. But just something to kind of keep. If you want to read the story, again, it's on our uh, Mothership's website, wvmetronews.com. And I guess the bill is, is, is to help schools kind of manage contracts when the employee is no longer at the school. Like, that's the purpose behind the whole thing. But then the coach, you got coaches saying, well, why are we going to have to reapply for a contract that we already have just because we're not teaching anymore? So it could get, you know, sticky. Let's put it that way. And again, I'll have my own take on it once I get some more information on it. Because it, it, it strikes a uh, a personal chord with me, being a coach in West Virginia, but not a teacher. And what that would mean if I ever wanted to apply for a head coaching job. But anyway, I got to do more research, get more information. Maybe we'll talk about it Monday. We'll see. All right, uh, time for a break. When we come back, high school hoops. 
Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. So the field is set in the West Virginia Girls uh, AA State Basketball Tournament. And Region 2, Section 1, would you please stand up and be recognized? Both Frankfurt and Petersburg punched their respective ticket to Charleston last night with wins in the Region 2 co-finals. There's only three teams in Section 1. And two of them are going to the state tournament. And, look, every once in a while, I don't like to brag. I'm not a boisterous, uh, braggadocious person. But every once in a while, I will pat myself on the back. And did I not call this earlier in the week? Did I not? I said, don't be surprised if the Falcons and the Vikings both go dancing. Because Frankfurt had already beaten Trinity in the regular season. And Petersburg, who beat Frankfurt twice, they were taking on a Braxton County team that had won like three games all season. And that game was an absolute blowout. I mean, Petersburg rolled to a 32-point victory to earn a spot in Charleston for the first time since 2007. And really the game, this is kind of weird to say because it was a 32-point margin, the game wasn't even that close. <laughs> it wasn't even that close. Petersburg led 26-6 to after one quarter, 47-13 to at the half, and 69-17 to after three quarters. The only reason why it was even remotely respectable is because Braxton County outscored him in the fourth quarter 27-7 to after Petersburg pretty much called off the dogs. Cato Lance, game-high 15 for Petersburg. Jenna Burgess had 13. So the Vikes punched that ticket again for the first time in uh, what was 2014 years. Congrats to them. Now, the only team to beat Petersburg this season is Frankfurt. And... I think they had perhaps a tougher time than expected uh, with Trinity last night because the Falcons just beat the Warriors by 15 a little more than two weeks ago. That was at Trinity. Last night's game was at Trinity. And early on, Trinity made a concerted effort to shut down Frankfurt's leading scorer, Marie Perdue, and they did. She only had three points at the half. Now, I don't know, I don't have the official Frankfurt stats in front of me, but I would be willing to guess. I think it would be a fair assumption, an educated guess, that Purdue, like that was the first time she was held to three points in the first half all year. I think that's a fair, that's a fair assumption. And because she only had three. And because Trinity was hitting from downtown early, they led 14 to 10 after the first quarter and 26-22 at the half. However, Purdue and the Falcons caught fire in the second half. Purdue scored seven straight points on her own early in the third to put Frankfurt up for the first time in the game, and they never trailed again. After scoring 22 points in the first half, 
Frankfurt scored 24 in the third quarter alone. They led 46-37, heading into the fourth, and then they held on from there. Uh, Marie Perdue finished with 17 points, 14 in the second half. Haley Smith, monster game for Frankfurt. 20 points, 11 rebounds, 6 steals, and 6 assists. Monster game. And that's what you need, right? Especially come playoff time. When you have a team focused on shutting down one player, a leading scorer, other players have to step up and fill the void. Haley Smith did just that last night. 20-11-6-6. Tinsley Grove, double-double, 14 points, 10 boards. Izzy Layton, 7 points, 4 boards. And after the game, uh, Frankfurt head coach uh, Mike Miller said it took a team effort to advance to the state tournament for the third time in four years. The girls have played in these games before. It was just staying confident, you know, playing with in themselves and, and playing with, with each other and looking for each other a little bit more. We did rely heavily on Marier and, you know, unfortunately her shot wasn't going tonight. So, you know, we had to we had to distribute the ball and, and get it to somebody that was, that was making them. And that ended up being several different girls that stepped up. And that's it. We just stayed the course and, and got everybody involved. So, now looking at the entire AA field for next week's tournament, Region 1 champ or, or co-champ or call it whatever you want, Parkersburg Catholic is the top overall seed. The Crusaders accrued, a pun intended, over Magnolia last night, 76-38. They are 16-0 this year. And they will face the eight-seed Ravenswood, who checks in at 7-7. Seven and seven. The Red Devils, get this, this is hard to believe. And I looked it online, it is verified. The Red Devils won the Region 4 title by beating Buffalo last night. 14-11. to 11. That was the final in a basketball game. 14 to 11. The most that any team scored in a quarter was six. Ravenswood scored three points. I'm sorry, six points in the third quarter. Ravenswood, Raven, Raven, let me try that again. It's Ravenswood, right? So Ravenswoods, there's two S's there. Ravenswood's leading scorer had four points. And Buffalo's uh, Abby Darnley had a game-high six. Can you imagine advancing to the state tournament, winning a game 14-11, to 11, and then having to face Parkersburg Catholic in the first round? Region 3 co-champ Wyoming East is the second seed. They uh, had an easy time with Chapmanville, 82-17. to 17. They will face number 7 Mingo Central, also out of Region 3, and I said it yesterday, I do not like when teams from the same section slash region play in the first round of the tournament, but sometimes it's just the way it works out. Despite being in the same region, they did not play each other in the regular season. Uh, East is 8-2, and two, Mingo is 9-4. and four. And we got Petersburg at 14-1, and one, the Vikings, the number three seed next week. And they will take on Charleston Catholic out of Region 4. Charleston beat Roan County 53-22, and they will carry a 9-4 record into states. And that leaves the 4-5 matchup. 
14 and 3 Frankfurt is the fourth seed. The Falcons will play 16 and 3 Williamstown out of Region 1. The Yellow Jackets got by St. Mary's last night 51 to 48. And uh, Frankfurt and Williamstown will play the first AA game of the tournament. That game is Tuesday at 11:15. Parkersburg Catholic and Ravenswood will play Tuesday at 7:15. The following day we'll have Parkersburg and Charleston Catholic. Wednesday at 11:15. Then the last AA quarterfinal: Wyoming East and Mingo Central. Wednesday night at 7:15. And if by chance, you are in or around the Kaiser area, our sister station, AM 1390 in Kaiser, is airing every single game of both the girls' and boys' state tournament. Sometimes, if you're lucky, you can get the signal on top of the mountain. Sometimes, if it's late enough. But again, if you live or you work or you're traveling through Kaiser, Pick up AM 1390. Every single game will be right there for you. So that's it. All four fields are now set for the girls' state tournament next week. And again, a reminder, or in case you're hearing it for the first time, with the extra classification, there's now an extra day in the tournament. Usually the tournament is Wednesday through Saturday. This year, both the girls and boys are Tuesday through Saturday because now we have single, double, triple, and quad A instead of the normal single, double, triple. So Tuesday, everything kicks off for the girls. And uh, as we have been, we'll have all the scores and results and everything else like that. If you want uh, another way to kind of keep track, uh, our Mothership's website, wvmetronews.com, who they produce and carry all of those basketball games, they're the ones that take care of all of that. They will have all the coverage. On their website, is everything. Everything State Tournament is right there, which is where I get a lot of my stuff, to be honest. I mean, same company. I work for them, so what are you going to do? So best of luck to Frankfurt, to Petersburg, and everybody heading down to Charleston. Safe travels to all, and I'm just happy to be sitting here talking about <laughs> a State Tournament, right? We did talk about this yesterday. I'm happy to be sitting here talking about all four classes, all four fields complete and ready to go. And you just, again, you hope and you pray, fingers crossed, knock on wood, hands to the sky, that these teams can get down there safely and nothing, there's no illness, there's no COVID, and they can play and finish the tournament. Because you can, you can now you can you can feel it. You can you know, you can feel it. You can touch it. You can taste it. You can smell it. It's so close. And it's like last year, whenever they started and they had to end it right there after day one. Don't want that situation to happen again. So you hope they can make it through. All right, time for a break. Where's my music at? There we go. When we come back. Old touchdown Tommy, Tom Brady, uh, apparently not very happy with a recent NFL rule change. Does he have a point? We'll talk about that next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
This is the Morning Rush. Right now we're going to switch gears to the NFL. Where Tom Brady is apparently not happy. It's a shocker. With a recent rule change in the NFL that allows more flexibility with uniform numbers. Brady hopped on Instagram yesterday to express his dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction? That's not even a word. Dissatisfaction. (laughs) Dissatisfaction with the rule change. Saying that it would cause safety issues for the offense or for the offense. I'm all messed up now. Such as picking up blitzes or identifying who, you know what? I should probably just stop right now. Seriously, I should probably just stop right now and pick this up next hour. Because I just butchered two words in one paragraph. And now I'm just completely off my game. Brady said on the gram, quote, good luck trying to block the right people now. Going to make for a lot of bad football, end quote. He then posted a screen cap of a story about the rule and directed it towards the NFL and the NFLPA. With the caption, quote, why not let the linemen wear whatever they want to? Why have numbers? Just have colored jerseys. Why not wear the same number? And then he put in all caps, dumb. Now, under this new rule, linebackers could potentially wear the same numbers as running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers. Those That group, backs, tight ends, receivers, they can wear numbers 1 through 49 and 80 to 89. Linebackers can now wear 1 through 59 and 90 to 99. So we could have a case where a running back is wearing number 32, blocking a linebacker wearing number 32. And Brady's trying to say that this could cause a lot of confusion. Freddie Coleman says Brady... He needs to stop crying. This is the ultimate in Tom Brady privilege. He is used to getting his way, and when he does not get his way, he will stop and stop and stop and yell and all that other nonsense. And, for example, he didn't get his way with the Patriots. He wanted the Patriots to give him the kind of credit that he was never going to get from Bill Belichick, and he wound up moving on to Tampa Bay, and that's his right to do that. If and you won would, a Lombardi. And he won a world championship. Good on him when it comes to Tom Brady. But let's be honest, as great as he's been, how many times when things have not gone his way, he has acted like a petulant child? And not for nothing, he's too much of a name to be in that crybaby box. Leave that for quarterbacks who don't even have 199th or what you've been able to do. When you're Tom Brady, you just sound like a sad old man. And it, because someone didn't change the TV right or didn't give you the remote control so he can have that kind of control. That's what this is. He believes he should have that control. He wants that control. He's not going to get it. And like a child, he decided to cry about it. Eh, I'm sorry, but Brady has a point. And there used to be a time, with some exceptions that we'll hear in just a bit, positions were sorted by numbers. You knew if you saw number 12, that's a quarterback. If you saw an 88, that's a receiver or a tight end, right? If you saw a 59, that was a linebacker. If a number was in the 60s or the 70s, that was a lineman. And it usually worked out. 60s was a guard, 70s was a tackle. It was pretty clear cut and dry. Wasn't rocket science. But now the NFL is kind of making it seem like it is. (laughs) You know, and I understand uniforms are different colors. 
and you should be able to identify your own teammates and the opposition by their uniform color. But why muddy the waters by relaxing this number rule? Well, what's the point? You'd have some duplicates back in the day. Like centers would wear numbers in the 50s, and so would linebackers. So you could have a center wearing 52 and a linebacker wearing 55. Right? Defensive backs wore kind of the same numbers as running backs. But now this is really going to mess things up. And yesterday, the guys at PTI, of course, Tony Kornheiser and uh, Mike Wilbon, discussed whether touchdown Tommy uh, is overreacting. All right, Wilbon, is Tom Brady overreacting to the new NFL jersey number rule? Of course he's overreacting, Tony. I mean, I, look, I understand why you might have a preference. Brady, by the way, went to a school in Michigan where two guys would wear the same number because they didn't have enough numbers to go around in a place like Michigan where they put 120 on the sideline on a Saturday. But let me just mention, linebackers customarily now we think of wearing numbers in the 50s, right? Mike Curtis wore 32. Ted DeStork Hendricks wore 83. Ray Nitschke, one of the greats of all time, 66. Jack Pardee, 32. And by the way, didn't Chuck Bednarik wear 60? If I'm, if I'm yes. seeing this in my mind correctly. Yes. So he was a two-way player, though. All right, yeah, okay. two-way player. Everybody's a two-way player at some point back then. So just so, so I don't want to hear the whining. I don't want to hear it. It's so great that you've named people who played 50 and 60 years ago before even Brady, Brady was born. Brady played about that long ago. You hate Brady, so hate you will Brady. not He's the you will not affirm any single thing that Brady He's ever does. Goat. So we're going to move on from that. Look, Brady has learned to make snap decisions over the last 20 years in the NFL based on a numerical system that he can read and react to. All quarterbacks have pretty much done this. I have sympathy with what Brady is saying, and I would just say this. If, if there's a way to grandfather him into an exemption here in the way that they did it with hockey players. Remember when they said you've all got to wear helmets, but you older guys who haven't worn helmets your whole lives will let you go till the end, and then you don't have to wear a helmet. Certainly an accommodation can be made for a guy who's been in, oh, I don't know, 43 Super Bowls to this How point. How can you make an accommodation? What are you going to put uh, Brady, let him have like a view master on his eyes, so no matter what everybody like else that. sees, he sees some numbers in the 50s? I don't want to hear that. That's a this. great idea. You don't, you don't make a great idea. ridiculous exception for a quarterback. It's your best idea. Stop it. I don't know what Kornheiser's talking about there, but I don't think Brady's overreacting. Now, I understand. I just, I just saw this, why they, they changed this rule, because, because of the pandemic, uh, they had to increase the practice squad numbers. And so they could have the ability to activate them from the practice squad. And they kind of ran out of numbers because they were just – more players on the roster. So that's why they have the, the more flexibility now because there's just more players. I still think there is another way around it. They still, I don't know. Give give two guys the same jersey number if they're both linebackers. But I do, I see, I, haven't, I won't say this very often, I see Brady's point. I see his point. Right, maybe it's much to do about nothing. I don't know. But it's fun to talk about. All right, uh, stick around. Hour number two coming up. We're going to rock around the region. Then we'll have our Rush Friday feature with Joe Shuda. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Hour number two of the show underway here on Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Brought to you by Thomas Cumberland, where the experience... 
is all about you. We are live from the palatial ESPN studio, high atop Industrial Boulevard, at least 10 feet up. On the south side of the Queen City, baby, reminder, several ways to get involved on the show. Check out our Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C, our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. All of those pages are open to the public. Like them, follow them, and you can leave a message, a question, comment, opinion, whatever. Vote on our questions of the day whenever I remember to put them up there. (laughs) So there you go. Also, taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo, 301-759-2628. And our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show, every day, minus commercials. So you can go back and listen to anything you missed. For instance, if you missed the first hour of the show today, we talked some pucks, some hockey, ran down the NHL standings as we head down the home stretch of the regular season, the ultra-competitive East Division, which we'll get to here in just a bit. Talk some high school hoops, which we'll get to here in just a bit when we rock around the region. And uh, Tom Brady's mad about something, so that was the first hour. Now it's time to start the second hour with a rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with girls' high school basketball, where the field is set for next week's West Virginia AA State Tournament and both Frankfurt and Petersburg are going dancing. The Falcons and Vikings won their Region 2 co-finals last night to advance to Charleston next week. Frankfurt had to rally to beat Trinity 60-48, and Petersburg rolled past Braxton County 76-44. to Petersburg going to states for the first time since 2007. The Vikings will be the third seed, Frankfurt the fourth seed. In boys' action, Tucker County won the Class A Region 2 Section 1 Championship with a 58-54 win over East Hardy. The uh, Section 2 title game between Tigers Valley and Pendleton County will be held tonight, that game at Pendleton. Uh, Pendleton, of course, I do believe, trying to run their win streak to 36 games. Also tonight, in other section finals, Martinsburg is hosting Hedgesville. Jefferson is at Musselman. Trinity is at Berkeley Springs, and Moorfield will take on Frankfurt. That game will be played at Petersburg. Why, I don't know. In high school wrestling, Moorfield edged Cameron by a half point to win its very first Class A state wrestling championship. The Yellow Jackets won by the slimmest of margins, 54 to 53 and a half. Isaac Van Meter won an individual state title, beating Clay County's Noah Castro in the 220-pound final. In college football, West Virginia and head coach Neil Brown agreed to a two-year contract extension that will run through the 2026 season. In total, the six-year contract is worth nearly $24 bucks, with an average yearly salary of $3.9 mil. Brown is 11-11. and 11. In two seasons with the Mountaineers, including a 6-4 and four mark uh, last season. In Major League Baseball, the Pirates were trying to stay red hot in ice-cold Detroit. 
Gregory Soto's pitch is a bouncing ball. Left side, going to sneak through into left field. Frazier will score. Throw to third base, won't get Reynolds. Colin Moran, don't you know, gives the Buccos the lead. It's 3-2 in the eighth. Greg Brown, the call on the Pirates radio network, 4-2 the final as the Pirates danced through snow flurries to get the win. Uh, Colin Moran, Eric Gonzalez, RBI singles in that eighth inning. Adam Frazier had three hits for the Bucks, who took two of three in the series. They have, amazingly enough, they have now won eight of their last 12 games. They're still a game under 500, but they were one in six, and now they're nine and 10. Uh, Nationals and Orioles did not play. The O's open a home weekend series tonight against the streaking Oakland A's. And the Nationals are on the road. They open a weekend series uh, at the Mets. On the ice last night, the Capitals and Islanders hooked up in New York with first place in the East Division on the line. Here he comes, right side, through the circle. Will hold, shoot, and he scores! Evgeny Kuznetsov wins it in the shootout for Washington. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, New York. What a win for the Capitals to start this three-game set with the Isles. They win it one nothing in extra hockey. John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network. Caps move into first place with that victory. Ilya Samsonov made 26 saves to pick up the shutout in the shootout. Washington now leads New York by a point in the standings. In Pittsburgh, the Penguins were trying to keep pace with both the Caps and the Isles as they hosted New Jersey. Crosby leading the charge for the pen, shoots and scores from the left wing circle. The captain is possessed and the Pens lead at 1-0, 41 seconds in. The call on the Penguins radio network 5-1 the final as the Pens are now tied with New York for second place in the division. Uh, Crosby, Kasperi Kapanen, Brian Rust, and Teddy Bluger each had a goal and a helper for Pittsburgh. So after last night's action in that uber-competitive East Division, the Caps are in first with 64 points. The Islanders and Penguins both with 63, and the Bruins in fourth place with 60. The Caps, the Pens, the Isles all have nine games left. The Bruins have 11 games, so they have two games in hand. So those four points could come into play down the stretch. And as you heard John Walton say, that game last night between the Caps and Isles, just the first of a three-game set. So there could be a whole lot of moving and shaking within the next couple days in that East Division. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Kappa Rally Group. All right. It is Friday, which means my main man, Joe Shuda, has another Rush Friday feature for us. You can get all of Joe's stuff online at his website, 2MinuteTO.com, his uh, short two-minute timeouts, his long-form stuff, everything. It's the number 2MinuteTO.com. Today's Rush Friday feature. The subject, a member of the 1982 Penn State National Champion football team, Bill Kant, is the subject of our Rush Friday feature. Take it away, Joe. It's time for the Rush Friday feature with Joe Shuda.
My guest on the Rush Friday feature was an offensive tackle playing six seasons in the NFL with the Browns and Saints. He was a starter at Penn State on the 1982 National Championship team. His book, When the Lions Roared, Joe Paterno and One of College Football's Greatest Teams, was released in 2017. He illustrates the fact that football players, many people question their intelligence, but here's a guy that once again lives in Arizona. Bill Kahn, you're smart. You live where it's warm. Why is that? I'm chasing the sunshine, Joe. First off, truly is a privilege to be able to share a few thoughts and observations, but luckier than most. A decision my wife and I made consciously. What keeps us in Pennsylvania in the wintertime? Took the plunge, looked around in, uh, always liked the Phoenix area, but blue skies, it certainly beats the alternative. Why did you write a book? It's a very intensive, difficult process, getting everything done, but why the decision to do that? Yeah, so we had a reunion coming up. So this is circa mid part of 2015, and I had thought that enough guys I stayed in touch with could offer their own variations of stories that went on in the Penn State locker room, in particular how uh, privileged we were to play at Penn State at a time where it was still a program looking for some recognition, paterno essentially wound up, I believe, created his own college football playoff by taking his grand experiment and challenging it against the best football teams in the country. So end up being at Penn State at a time where there's just a ton of guys that both practiced against and then the opponents we played on Saturday, a lot of guys had to be at the next level. And that you know, the book came out in part because of the reunion and maybe it would be a fun way to look back on that first national championship team. But also I had been keeping tabs on a an obscure statistic about about teams in college that would play the what was considered to be the toughest schedule in the country. And lo and behold, um, when I retired in 89, I got back to Western Pennsylvania, and I was in a library. I was flipping through an encyclopedia-sized book, the NCAA Record and Fact Book, and I flip open to that very topic. Someone had started charting teams that had played the nation's most difficult schedule. And lo and behold, a lot of the Penn State teams that I was on were listed there, but very few of those teams were winning 9, 10, 11 games. And lo and behold, what's listed there is the 1982 team played one of the, if not the toughest schedule in the country. So I kept monitoring that statistic. So by 2015, I figured maybe there is an interest to hear about the 82 season through the eyes of the former players and coaches at Penn State, and then marry that to some statistics that make the argument that this indeed was one of college football's all-time greatest teams in terms of schedule strength. And made a few phone calls, but said, who do you use as a publisher? Points me toward Triumph Publishing. Their one caveat was that you got to have a name guy on the cover. Todd Blackledge wrote the foreword to the book that was published in September 17th, got great reviews, turned out really well. Your book, of course, is available on Amazon and bookstores. Give us some well-known names of people that you spoke with who were on that team. Sure. Well, again, at the time, they're coming off of the Sugar Bowl lost Alabama. So they were a lot of the guys that came into that same recruiting class, Todd Blackledge, Kurt Warner. Mike McCloskey. There were some talented guys that I arrived on campus in the fall of 79 and some elite athletes, some quality people. People were there for the very same reasons I was, to get a quality education and also face some top caliber competition on the field as well. When you moved from a national championship team to the NFL, I spoke to so many players who played in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The NFL was nowhere close to being as big as it is today. Were you thinking about playing professional football and national championship? Then you go to the Cleveland Browns. What was that feeling? Yeah, and that all came to light in my last six months during my senior season. I had no preconceived notion that I would be an NFL caliber player. 
but I think in part because of the guys you practiced against, Leo was news giver. In my freshman fall, I detail in the book that I got my head knocked in on the scout team playing against Bruce Clark and Matt Millen, other guys that had long careers in the NFL. So you kind of realize very early on at Penn State that you needed to get a lot bigger, faster, and stronger. You can succeed at the high school level, but when you go to a school like a Penn State or a Pitt or one of those top 10 programs, Alabama, Notre Dame, you realize pretty quickly that you're no longer the uh, the top cat and that you've got to get a lot better. Fortunately, I was able to stayed injury-free for the most part, matured as a player, and got some playing time early on in my junior year. The 81 team I post on the website that I built to support the book, BillConsPSU.com, there is a listing of the starting lineups for the Pitt-Penn State game, the 48-14 game played in Pittsburgh against number one Pitt. And I believe of the 22 offensive starters for both teams, 20 of those players select in the NFL draft. To your point about was it as popular, the NFL has certainly capitalized on the popularity that it now involves. But I was also fortunate that there was another league. The USFL had just started. So that meant extra jobs as well for guys. But I had no inclination up until the final couple of weeks of that regular season 82, when, when you get invitations to attend the scouting combine, that I was of that caliber, that I was a potential NFL draft pick. Bill Conch joins us on the Rush Friday feature. Bill, let's go through Cleveland. I notice here that in 83, you played in 16 games, the next year 15, and then 1985, four games. What was going on there? Yeah, so what um, what transpired, I was very fortunate to be selected by the Browns in the fifth round of the 83 draft. Fortunate in the regard that I went to a team that needed younger offensive linemen. This was the cardiac kids three years removed from a team that had lost to the Raiders in uh, in a frigid uh, game in Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. But these guys were getting older. Doug Deacon, Robert Jackson, Tom DeLeon, who's passed away, Joe DeLaw they were getting up in years. So there were opportunities for younger guys to get some playing time. Deacon was returning from coming off off-season surgery in 83. So believe it or not, I was penciled in as a starter at left tackle in the preseason in 83. Got a lot of playing time, but as a backup in 83, 84, um, we start out, one of the things I tell people is I played a pivotal role in getting Sam Ritigliano fired. Sam was a very popular coach in Cleveland. However, we started out, I think, one and seven. Sam summarily got dismissed, but it gave Marty Schottenheimer a chance. Art Modell had named him. Marty was a linebacker's coach, and Art named him the interim coach. Marty wanted to go back to a strong running game. Got a chance halfway through that season to start at right tackle. Starting tackle, Cody Risen was gone for the season, so I got a a lot of extended playing time and a number of starts, but blew my knee out. I had a very significant knee injury in, of all places, against the Steelers in Three Rivers Stadium and tore my ACL, my MCL, and my PCL and spent most of 85 rehabilitating that knee. Didn't come back till I think, the 10th or 11th week of the season. Came back in training camp. It was treated kind of like a fifth wheel. Marty Schottenheimer calls me into his office, says, bring your playbook. We've waived you. Clint Hurdle was a guy that was the Pittsburgh Pirates manager for, for years. And, and one of his many catchphrases and, and quotes he was using, one that was appropriate, was, don't be sad it's over, be glad it happened. And being waived by the Browns and then subsequently picked up by the New Orleans Saints, a second lease on life. I got a chance to go down and play right away. Uh, and in 1986, helped New Orleans Saints. We got a chance to play once again. And I was fortunate in that regard because of the significant damage to the knee. A lot of guys I found out much later don't get a chance to ever come back and play again. 
87, you played in three games, 88, 11. What's it like coming to the end of your career? At 27 years of age, you're out of the NFL, and you look at 27 years of age as young for anybody in almost any occupation. What's that feeling like when you see the ends coming? You kind of know. I mean, it's a game of attrition. The body wears out. I was nowhere near built. There were some guys in that league, you realize, were just built to play the game. At middle linebacker, you had guys like Mike Singletary. We had a guy in New Orleans, Sam Mills, who passed away that was just rock solid. You run into him, it's like running into a wall. I wasn't built that way. And the way the league was evolving into these 290, 300-pound linemen, that the fridge, William Perry, was drafted by the Bears. That was the next evolution in where you saw 300-pound guys start showing up in training camps that were mobile and agile. Not a lot of them would make the teams, but you saw where the league was going. But my body was eventually wearing out, and it happens to virtually every guy that's played in that league. Sooner or later, you just cannot perform at a level you once did, and the league's always getting the younger, faster, stronger, and lesser paid guys in the league. I think the turnover rate in the NFL was, and probably still is, around 25% each year. So I kind of knew, I had an inkling that uh, my days were numbered, was having various injuries and things like that. But it was, uh, it was a great ride while it lasted, and a thrill to be part of it. If you could go back and change anything about your career, what would you do? Huh. You know, I... Great question. I don't know that you can really um, change much. If anything, I probably would have prepared for the NFL after my senior year a little better, and it leads to the question I think you're going to ask about tell a funny story. This is actually a true story, and it's kind of, well, I mentioned earlier that I had really very little inkling that I would be a, a prospect for the NFL, but back then you got invited to three scouting combines. One was in Tampa, one was out in Seattle, and one was up in Detroit. Well, at Penn State, Dan Riley and then later passed the reins, our strength coach Dan Riley, and then Chet Furman were big believers in a Nautilus training regimen, which meant that you did various exercises on Nautilus machines. You did 10 or 12 reps to the point of failure, but they were always mechanized kind of thing. So I go to the scouting combine down in Tampa, right? And you're amongst, they give you the shirt that has a number 555, whatever it is, there's how many people down there. And it comes to the bench press, right? And all I had done up until that point was essentially not. They maybe had one bench press in the whole Penn State weight room. It just wasn't part of training. So the story is, and I tell people this, I said, I own the record. I own a National Football League record for most seasons played by an offensive lineman without being able to bench press 300 pounds. It's a true story. Got long arms, never did it. But I went to the scouting combine, right? Jimbo Covert's there from Pitt, mammoth-sized guy. Guys like Steve Court from Arkansas are in line to do the bench press. Randy Grimes from Baylor. These are guys that are as wide as they are tall, right? Grimes gets on the bench, rips up about 35, 36 reps. Court gets on there, puts up 40. Covert probably puts 30, 35. Cons gets down on the bench press in Tampa, Florida, and does a grand total of seven reps with 225 pounds. Seven. What I find funny is Brady Quinn from Notre Dame got drafted by the Browns. I think he did 24 reps. He was a quarterback. There are cornerbacks and guys that play in a secondary that did more bench press reps than I did. So it, <laughs> then we go to Detroit. The next scouting combine, right, is up in Detroit, and they put 295 pounds on the bar. And as you lean back on a bench press, I knew leaning back, I had never bench pressed that amount of weight in my life, right? I did what they call a negative rep where you let the bar come down really, really slow and then the spotter is supposed to help you back up and you do another one. I knew that there was no chance I could ever bench press 295 pounds. So I did this one half negative rep and then I started, oh, I think I tore my pec. 
the joke was that I was so ill prepared to go to these scouting combines and, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a meat market. Right. And I, <laughs> and I did a grand total of seven reps on the bench press. That how impressive I was to the NFL scouts at that particular combine. My father once told me that is truly the wise man who knows his limitations in life. And you knew that, didn't you? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, you know, once I got to the NFL, I realized the game wasn't played in the weight room. And I realized that through proper technique and leverage, some of the things Dick Anderson taught me at Penn State um, would work against the caliber of people we played with. I mentioned earlier that not only the guys I practiced against, like Wisniewski or uh, Clark and Miller and those kind of things, you could hold your own if you use leverage and footwork and preparation and there are a whole lot of other factors into it so i managed to survive six seasons in the league using those kind of things but upper body strength one of the things they used as a strength when they when they were doing my uh my mo if you will finally bill what's the future for you the future for me i'm i'm fortunate to be retired it's just my wife and i um we had um, invested wisely, and um, I am, I'm, I'm semi-retired, if you want to call it, until somebody else comes along, maybe makes me an offer. I, I enjoy writing because I kind of keep busy um, with some sports satire, some different kinds of spins on some things from from uh, from time to time. But living a good life, healthy, and uh, enjoying uh, enjoying retirement. And your website is what. Well, the website that supports the book is com, And what I found through publishing is you don't always get, you provide the publisher with the content, but in uh, the latter stages of when I'm submitting the first pages to the publisher for review, they let me know in no uncertain terms that I could not publish anything that what I viewed was an appendix. You know, if I'm going to, going to cite statistics in the book about why this 82 Penn State team may be considered one of the, one of the greatest of, uh, of all time in terms of college football, somebody's going to want to leaf through, where do you check for that information? So when they told me this five months before the book's going to actually hit book stands, I had to write my own. I had to learn how to create my own website and store all that information, which is out there. And in addition to the numerical and the statistical comparisons you can make and all that stuff, you can you can see some some pretty cool some memorabilia. Ken Kelly has the coin that was flipped in the Sugar Bowl. One of the equipment managers saved the coin for Ken and gave it to him after the game. There's just a lot of content that was not in the book some memorabilia if you will some some little trivia but a lot of the stuff that was typically left on a cutting room floor is out on that website i encourage folks to to hit the site and use it as kind of an uh, an addendum if you will to what's published in the book bill thanks for joining us on the rush friday feature i think we'll be talking down the road pleasure is all mine joe this is the morning rush i had to do something yesterday it's one of my least favorite things to do. There are very few things that I look forward to less than taking our cats to the vet. I understand you have to do it. It is a necessary evil, but it is just absolutely painful for both the cats and myself. They're stuck in that Stupid cage. (laughs) They hate it. I hate it. They're yelling at me like I'm enjoying it. And it's just, it's the constant, the incessantly, just 
the meowing and the howling because they hate being in that carrying cage. And it's like a 20-minute ride from my house to the vet's. So we're talking about 40 minutes to and from in the car with nothing but these deranged cat sounds. (laughs) I can't take it. By the time we get home, like, I don't even love them anymore. Like, I'm just, I'm like, you know what? Get away from me for a few days. Cats, go somewhere else. I don't, I just don't have the tolerance for it. I don't. I just do not. I'm I'm too much of a selfish jackass to to tolerate. It's amazing I was even able to help raise a child. To tell you the truth, <laughs> can't stand it. Again, I know you got to do it. You got to take care of your pets. You do. Like dogs. Seem to love car rides, right? Am I, am I right on that? Dogs seem to like want to go in the car. They want to take a ride. And dogs are chilling the car, right? They sit in the back seat or the front seat and they got their head out the window and they're they're happier than well, a dog in a car. See, but you can't do that with cats. You know, because if you let a cat roam free in the car, you're going to have an accident. Because cats can't chill in the car. They can't sit still. They're climbing up and down the seats all over the floor. They get stuck underneath the gas pedal. So you got to put them in those stupid cages. And what you get is 15, 20 minutes of just the worst sound you've ever heard in your entire life. And I got to do it again like two weeks from now. Because we have to get one of them fixed, which, again, I'm sure they'll be happy about. First round of the NFL draft is uh, coming up this Thursday. Quarterbacks have dominated most of the discussion as they usually do. Barring one of the worst decisions of all time, Jacksonville will take Trevor Lawrence with the top overall pick. We've pretty much known that since last season. The consensus is the Jets will take Zach Wilson at number two. And the debate has been raging for the past couple of weeks about what San Fran will do at number three. Now, again, the consensus is the Niners will take a quarterback. Problem is, nobody knows which one. Could it be Mac Jones? Could it be... Justin Fields? Could it be Trey Lance? Everybody seems to have an opinion on what the Niners should do at number three. Problem is, nobody can agree on it. Let's go around the room, shall we? Starting with Booger McFarland who was on with uh, Mike Greenberg yesterday. When you look at Mac Jones, Green, I think the thing, and you and I continue to discuss this, the thing that makes it so hard for us to wrap our brains around Mac Jones is the fact that he's going to be the ultimate game manager if he goes there. If Kyle Shanahan calls a play and the defense sniffs it out and now the quarterback has to make the coach right, 
We don't think that Matt can do that, where we know that Trey Lance and Justin Fields have that athletic ability and those second reaction skills, the ability to do that, and that's the toughest part. I'll go on record again on your radio show. If it were me making the pick, I'm going with Justin Fields over Trey Lance because I know a little bit more about him based on the competition he's going against. I know how tough he is. He's, he's a little bigger, maybe a little faster, running a 4-4. So I'm going with the guy that has the potential to be the ultimate wild player, and I think that's Justin Fields. So Booger thinks that Mac Jones is just a game manager. He thinks Lance and Fields have the ability to make things happen when the play breaks down, and he ultimately likes Justin Fields. How about uh, Kelly Martin? If you want to start somebody right away, then Mac Jones, he's ready to start now. Now, it's funny because when they moved up and made that trade, I had people texting me, it's either going to be Mac Jones or Trey Lance. Watch out for the North Dakota State kid. But he needs some seasoning. So personally, if you're asking me at three, what would you do? I agree with Keyshawn. That's a lot to give up to move up to three and take Mac Jones. So... She says Mac Jones is more ready to start right now. But the Niners still shouldn't take him because they traded up to that spot. And if you're going to trade up to number three, then you shouldn't take Mac Jones. You should take somebody with a a higher upside, I suppose, is what she was trying to say. Next up. Melly Mel. I would always go Justin Fields after Trevor Lawrence went number one, but the league doesn't agree with me because they're seeing Trey Lance and you're seeing Mac Jones and obviously Zach Wilson locked into the New York Jets. So uh, I'm out here with Justin Fields. Nobody's agreeing with me. Somebody's going to get a steal. I think people forgot 2019, acting like it was maybe uh, you know 20 you know 2001. What are we talking about here? 1982. Uh, we're talking about 2019. We're not talking about 15, 20, 50 years ago. So for me, Justin Fields, I don't get it. I'm sitting here, you know, wondering what did he need to do that he didn't do? In a COVID year, he had two subpar games. He bounced back and outplayed Trevor Lawrence. He's got all the physical skills you want and the passion for the game. I don't understand it, but hey, somebody's going to benefit. And I don't know who it is right now, but somebody's going to move up and get Justin Fields at a bargain point. So Mel Kuyper Jr. says he likes Justin Fields at number two, even more than Zach Wilson. And finally, uh, Lewis Riddick breaks it down between Fields and Lance. I love both of these guys, man. I really do. Right now, I would lean towards Trey because I – I, you know, I've been around him a little bit more. I've, I've gotten a little bit more intel on him. He's a guy who I think right now, based on what I'm being told, from a makeup, intelligence, football intellect, all the different kind of tests that they're giving this young man to try and determ- determine what his upside ultimately will be, he is knocking at Keyshawn out the park. He really is. I mean, he is a brilliant football mind an untapped physical specimen that right now has such a limited resume that the sky is the limit. I think obviously some coaches, some scouts have alluded to the fact that, well, if you miss on him, you could miss big two because of the fact that he has such a limited resume and you don't know where the bottom could be. But quite honestly, I don't don't care about that. I wouldn't worry about that. I'd bet on the upside with this young man because of how he's wired, because of how football smart he is, because of all the things that the people in North Dakota State say about him. And he would be the one I would push my chips in on. (laughs) So Kuyper says that Justin Fields is the way to go. Riddick says he'd bet the house on Trey Lance. What's my point? Nobody knows a damn thing when it comes to the NFL draft. That's my point. We can can talk and talk and talk 
But in the end, we have absolutely no clue what these teams are going to do. I just played you four clips from the national team, and all of them had different opinions. The NFL draft is an absolute crapshoot. They don't know who the teams are going to pick any more than you or I know. And one of the greatest things I saw yesterday on Twitter, former Ravens coach Brian Billick, he was on uh, the morning show on 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. And the morning show uh, tweeted out uh, this quote from Billick. (laughs) He says, quote, General managers are lying to general managers. Coaches are lying to coaches. Personnel people are lying to personnel people. And the media, we're all lying to everybody because we really don't know what's going on. End quote. I think that's great. That sums it up. Teams are lying to teams. The media, myself included, because I'll have my mock draft later or next week. I'm lying to you because I have no idea what's going on. But we'll do it anyway because it's fun. All right, one final break. Back to wrap things up. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, let's check on the player who delivered. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Now, I originally had it as Capitals goaltender Ilya Samsonov, uh, who stopped all 26 shots he faced in regulation and overtime to earn the shutout and give the Caps a 1-0 win over the Islanders in a shootout. In a battle for first place in the East Division, Washington now leads both New York and Pittsburgh by a point in the East standings. He was going to be my first pick. So I'm going to bump him down to number two. He'll be honorable mention. But ultimately, our player who delivered will be our wrestler who delivered, and that is Moorfield's Isaac Van Meter, who won his second individual state champion, Chip, (laughs) yesterday. He pinned uh, Clay County's, I don't know if he pinned him, I misspoke there. I, I really don't know if he pinned him or beat him by points. Anyway, he beat Clay County's uh, Noah Castro to win the 220-pound final. And he helped Moorfield win its very first Class A state wrestling championship. And and they won by the slimmest of margins a half a point to win that team state title. Isaac Van Meter, for his high school career, a record of 190 and 8. And he was never pinned in high school. Not once. So for his individual state title and to help Moorfield win their very first team title, uh, Isaac Van Meter, our player, wrestler, who delivered, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Uh, Seeing this come down on Twitter uh, during the last break, it looks like uh, there was supposed to be a a section final tonight in AAA, Region 2. Number 2, Lincoln, was scheduled to play at number 1, Robert C. Byrd. Robert C. Byrd, favored by many, 
to win the uh, AAA state title this year in hoops. That game has been declared a no contest. And this is according to uh, the Lincoln High School of Sports, uh, Lincoln Athletics. Says the boys' sectional basketball game versus Robert C. Bird has been declared a no contest. RCB is the section champ and Lincoln the runner-up. So, again, you have to automatically assume that it's a no contest because of COVID issues. Again, could be something else. We don't know. But that is the fair assumption. And since RCB is declared the sectional champ, you also have to assume that the issue is with Lincoln because they are the runner-up. Now the question is, will Lincoln be ready to play in the region co-final? Because remember, in West Virginia, if you make the section title game, you automatically qualify for a region co-final. The other section title game is, right now, scheduled to go on as planned. Number two, Grafton, is at number one, Fairmont Senior. So if Lincoln is able to play, they will play at the winner of that Grafton-Fairmont Senior game. And then Robert C. Bird will host the loser of that Grafton-Fairmont Senior game. So again, Lincoln, Robert C. Bird, not being played tonight, no contest. RCB is declared the winner. And now we wait and see if Lincoln can play next week because that's that's the next step. Just another unfortunate uh, circumstance. Again, uh, you assume it's COVID. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, coming up tonight on this station, I got to look at it here real quick. Again, I don't know why I I print I don't print this out. I don't know why I have it. I don't have it ready because I'm a moron. Basically, we got Nationals tonight. Yes, we do. Nationals baseball. Pre-game 640, first pitch at 710. The Nats are in New York this weekend uh, to take on the Mets. I do believe that's a three-game series, right? It's a, it's a pretty big early-on series in the uh, NL East. Let me check my messages real quick. No, okay. So I, I got a notification, a, a message on Facebook. I didn't know if it was somebody trying to contact me for the show or what it was. Basically, what Facebook just did is reminded me that today's my mom's birthday. Yeah, thanks, Facebook. Already knew that. <laughs> Don't need you to remind me that today's my mother's birthday. Although, I do have to remind myself that I need to call her uh, after the show's over. Because she is visiting my brother in Virginia. So, got to call mom, right? You have to. Got to call mom on her birthday. That is an absolute must. Mom and dad's birthday comes up. Got to do it. All the fusses that they made over your birthdays over the years when you were kids coming up, got to return the favor. Got to call mom on the birthday, man. Can't go visit her because, you know, COVID. So got to at least call her. Trying to find the uh, baseball standings real quick to see where uh, the teams sit in the NL East right now. Mets are in first place. Oh, my goodness. Really? That division that bad? I didn't realize that. The Mets are 7-7 seven and seven and in first place in the NL East. They're tied with the Phillies. They're 9-9. Nine and nine. So a pair of 500 teams tied for first in the East. The Marlins and Braves 
and the Nationals are all one game back, and they all have losing records. The Fish and the Braves are eight and ten. The Nats are seven and nine. So it's quite possible that the Nats. I don't know who the Phillies and Marlins and Braves are. The Nats could be in first place by the time this weekend is over. If they're able <laughs> to take this series from the Mets. That's funny. That's funny. But it's early. Things happen. Pirates, they're on a roll. They're no longer in last place. The Cardinals are in last place in the Central. The Bucks, they're 9-10. They have won eight of their last 12. They're only two and a half games out of first. Who would have thunk that, right? And the Orioles, oh boy, they got a tough task this weekend as they take on the streaking Oakland A's. The A's have won 11 straight games. Good luck, Baltimore. Anyway, that's it. I'm done. Stick around. Final hour of KJZ coming up next. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. and I am done. Ah! I see you.